This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. airwaves on on Friday, everybody in the world was talking about the Trump indictment. And I said that it was premature to talk about the legal ramifications of the Trump indictment without actually knowing what was in the indictment. Well, now it's official. The indictment has been released. It has been unsealed. And there are all sorts of people weighing in with the analysis and just to go and go to show what I was saying on Friday and why that's accurate for starters, the initial reports were that the indictment of uh, I'm sure everyone in the world has heard about this announced by a special prosecutor, Jack Smith. Initially, the reports were that it was seven counts. Now they're saying it's 38 counts. It includes willful retention of the national defense of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding a document or record, corruptly concealing a document or record, scheme to conceal, false statements, and uh, some other similar charges. Now, what I would love to do this hour is parse through the legality of this. Because one of my great frustrations in anything having to do with President Trump and his legal issues is it becomes so difficult for people to be objective. If you're a Trump supporter or a Trump cheerleader, you basically acknowledge nothing, uh, that he is incapable of doing anything illegal. If you are a Trump critic, you see Trump as responsible for all the evils of the entire world. So what I would like to do is assemble an all-star legal panel of people who have a great deal of experience in federal court, people who have a great deal of experience in state court, people who have looked at these charges and understand where we're going here and see if we can't get an accurate representation of where we are with this whole situation. Let me first begin by welcoming uh, Matthew J. Mary, veteran criminal defense attorney and radio talk show host who has practiced in both the federal courts and the state courts. Uh, Matty, it is great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Frank. 
And I also want to welcome back former assistant U.S. attorney and a criminal defense attorney, very practiced in the federal courts, David Katz on the West Coast. David, hello. Great to be with you, Frank. And uh, somebody that is a veteran attorney and legal analyst who used to be a weekly guest on the Bob Grant program, so certainly no stranger to many in our audience, is attorney Anthony Macri. Anthony, it's great to talk with you again. Oh, thank you. Good morning, Frank. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A lot to get to. David, let me begin with you. If people haven't taken the time to read this uh, entire 40-something page indictment, can you kind of break down what the bullet points of the charges that President Trump is facing are? Sure. Um, uh, uh, Former President Trump, along with a valet of his name, Mr. Nauta, are charged with a conspiracy to obstruct justice. They're also charged with violations of the Espionage Act, and they're charged with wrongfully retaining um, those documents. Uh, Allegedly, uh, Trump stored these boxes boxes of important documents in the shower, in the bathroom, in other odd places. They actually spilled out onto the floor with their um, security tags on them, you know, their national security seals that are red and gold. People have seen that on TV from the search, that famous Exhibit A. Uh, so some of them said five eyes, which is the code for the national security secrets that are the most um, protected. They actually spilled out on the floor at one point, and there's a photograph of that that's included in with the indictment. And then on top of that, he, we have his own lawyers, especially lawyer Corcoran, is going to end up being a very important witness against his own client because of the crime fraud exception, which a federal judge in Washington, D.C., applied to pierce the attorney-client privilege, Frank. Uh, and so all of that is scheduled for an arraignment in South Florida coming this Tuesday. Maddie, Mary, uh, you have represented a number of organized crime defendants, including in some federal death penalty cases, which uh, most lawyers that I've spoken to can't say. We've seen in mob cases from time to time, some lawyers end up uh, being involved in these investigations. Sometimes they're they're called upon to testify. Sometimes they're named unindicted co-conspirators uh, by the federal government. Explain that aspect to folks, if we can, Maddie. How did uh, Trump's attorney become such an integral part of the evidence in this case itself? I just finished reading the entire indictment. One thing that jumped right out at me was that there seems to be a question as to whether or not the attorney-client privilege is being breached here. Uh, Apparently, Trump's attorneys, attorney number one and two, were questioned by the government. Uh, And uh, it's correct that there is an exception to the attorney-client privilege. That exception is that an an attorney-client conversation, which is criminal in nature, is not a privileged conversation. But in this case, I think one of the important legal issues will be, is Trump asking his attorneys if he can do X, Y, and Z? Or is he deliberately asking his attorneys to assist him in a criminal act? Meaning, can we destroy these documents? Can we hide them? Can we keep them in spite of the subpoena? Now, naturally, you might say any idiot 
would know that those things are wrong and criminal. And so it is outside the attorney-client privilege. On the other hand, we can't be so sure with President Trump that he actually knew doing those things would be illegal. And so there's a question, and there will be some litigation, I think, about the attorney-client privilege in this case. Anthony Macri, after the uh, New York indictment of President Trump, a lot of legal analysts were saying that of all the legal cases that Trump was facing, the New York indictment was likely the weakest from a legal perspective because it relied on sort of a what the New York Times described as an, uh, a novel legal theory and that nobody had ever been prosecuted under before. From your analysis, how do you view the strength of this indictment, this federal indictment? Would you be worried if you were representing President Trump here? I I think that the, the the indictments here are weak, and for a number of reasons. One of which is I'm not sure it's not a complete defense that uh, President Trump was acting under the Presidential Records Act, and if he was, whether or not he officially declared the documents declassified or not, I think then at most it becomes a civil matter and not a criminal one as to what he did with the documents and it it create it kind of at least creates the appearance that there's great prosecutorial overreaching here and in, in making this a criminal case uh, in view of that act um and then another thing is the I, you know, I don't see how you can abrogate the attorney-client privilege. I mean, that's been a basic bedrock of our law for a long time. And if you start doing away with parts of it, I think it, it, it really contributes to the failure of our legal system. So I, I, I think to start saying that conversations he had with his attorney uh, may not come within the purview of the attorney-client privilege I think aren't aren't really well taken. So, uh, just to follow up on both of those issues, uh, the David, the Presidential Records Act apparently gives a former president the right to his records. And Ed Cox, who was uh, Richard Nixon's son-in-law, but also an attorney in his own right, he's been talking about this a lot because they looked at this closely with the whole Watergate situation. And uh, he claims, Ed Cox, that the Presidential Records Act gives a former president the right to all his records. Uh, They shall be available to him, which implies that he can do anything he wants with them except give them away or destroy them, which he can't do because they don't belong to him. Is that a valid defense, the Presidential Records Act, on, in the, from what you're seeing in this case? In my view, Trump does not have a valid defense under the Presidential Records Act, which was actually passed after Watergate. Um, but if he had really believed that he was on good footing under the Presidential Records Act, you know, as soon as the Fed started to show interest in those documents with the first letter, he could have filed a motion for declaratory relief that he was entitled to hold on to those. Trump did not act throughout this as someone who wanted to have due process in the courts. He acted like someone who meant to take those records he wasn't entitled to, keep those records, fend off people who had a right to get them, like the National Archives, the Department of Justice, and the FBI, and to keep them for himself. Now, I'm a huge defender of the attorney-client privilege and of not having the crime-fraud exception. 
I do a lot of tax cases, uh, federal income tax cases here in Beverly Hills and around the country. And I've had situations where I come in and they've uh, invoked this uh, crime fraud exception as against the uh, tax attorney, right, that was advising the person. And the argument was that the tax attorney put the money offshore or somehow got involved with the criminality of the client or that the client was simply committing criminality using the uh, attorney, right, as a pawn. You can't run around and use an attorney to commit a crime forward going any more than you can use anyone else to commit a crime going forward. You can talk historically about crimes you may have committed in the past. That's the core of the attorney-client privilege. So I have litigated this issue as the new attorney, and I've seen judges Mm. enter these orders ex parte in chambers, and I've rolled my eyes. But this is not one of them because Corcoran was actively duped, and he has a record that he was duped. This valet allegedly took 60 boxes into the residence. Then he only brought 35 of them back. The government can prove that. And then this lawyer was led to believe that for his certification that all the stuff had been turned over, these were the only 35 boxes. Meanwhile, 25 of them allegedly were being hidden, were being hidden by Trump and by this valet. And then Trump says, according to the attorney, now that they have pierced the attorney-client privilege, he said, Trump said, pluck out the bad ones. Don't turn over the bad ones. Go back to your hotel room and pluck out the bad ones and acted like a chicken Trump did. So this is not a run-of-the-mill case, and I don't believe it's a political case. I believe anybody would have been charged in this situation. I think Trump was asking for it. I think he was taunting the federal prosecutors not to do this, and they didn't like being taunted, and they didn't like being jerked around, as even his former Attorney General Barr said. It's clear that Trump was jerking them around well, and playing games with them. Let Frank, me, let, Frank, we're falling into a trap. Mm-hmm. Can I just comment right now? Well, yeah, uh, but let me, since uh, since David brought up uh, Bill Barr, I was going to play you these comments from Fox News Sunday yesterday, and let me play them, and uh, then you can respond to both Bill Barr and to uh, David Katz. Here's uh, former President Trump's uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr. Since he's been out of office, he has become much more of a Trump critic, particularly in light of a lot of these legal issues. Here's Bill Barr on Fox News Sunday. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. And he went a bit further. If even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a very detailed indictment uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt uh, is ridiculous. Uh, Matt, this is not exactly someone that's known as a liberal Democrat, Uh, Republican attorney general in two different administrations. What's your reaction to what Bill Barr said? My reaction is simple, Frank. Bill Barr is a a very distinguished lawyer. No question about it. I respect him. But apparently Trump did not respect him. Trump abused him. Trump fired him. Trump ridiculed him, and he's got an axe to grind. Whether you like Trump or dislike Trump, one thing is very clear here to anyone who's ever practiced law. This indictment is unprecedented. Unprecedented. It's a misuse of the law by a biased law enforcement official to legally attack and disable a political campaign of a major front-running candidate and former president. The Biden administration, Attorney General uh, Merrick, the DOJ, the FBI, they're simply continuing, continuing 
to sabotage Trump. During the, the administration of Trump, Speaker Pelosi, let's not forget this, Speaker Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, brought about the, the, the Mueller investigation, which turned up nothing, and two embarrassing impeachments, which failed. And before that, the former FBI chief, James Comey, James Comey openly protected Hillary Clinton mm. and tried well, to well, scuttle. We'll get into the comparable cases. Campaign. We'll get into the comparable cases uh, well, a bit later. Know, we're, we're, we're treating this like it's a legal issue. It's a political issue. Well, when, when you're when you're when you're on the receiving end of a, a 38 count indictment, I mean, it does become a legal issue. Uh, Anthony, we'll give you the last word here before we we continue. Well, your thoughts on uh, what Matthew just said there about the political nature of this indictment. Yeah, I, I agree. It, uh, I think it, it clearly is a, of a political nature, and it, it smacks of you know a, a third world banana republic. That here we are, and the the chief rival of of uh, the sitting president is is being eliminated by the administration, or attempting to be eliminated by the administration. Uh, uh, you know, it 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 has a bad taste to it. It. it it really is reminiscent of, of how Putin got rid of rivals. He didn't prison them. Is that what we want here? And, and on a very technical statute that, if anything, probably amounts to more a civil violation than a criminal violation. And this is unprecedented use of that statute. I, I, I just think it, it uh, creates a, a very bad... Um, milieu in our country. Right, we're going to continue in a moment. David Katz is here. Matthew Mary is here. Anthony Macri is here. This is The Other Side of Midnight, breaking down this uh, Trump indictment with uh, the three greatest attorneys that are willing to be awake at this time. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Monday morning you showed up fine. Friday I got traveling on my mind. First you love me, then you fade away. I can't go on believing this way. I got nothing but love for you. Tell me what you This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, broadcasting from coast to coast, shore to shore. Big shout out uh, to everybody listening on KMOX, the voice of St. Louis on 1120 AM and 98.7 FM. Uh, We have some St. Louis anecdotes that we'll share with you a little bit later. Meantime, we're trying to break down this uh, Trump indictment and understanding the severity of the charges and how this case is likely to play out here to help us do it we have former assistant u.s attorney david katz we have veteran criminal defense attorney and radio talk show host matthew j mary and we have veteran attorney and legal analyst anthony macri david one of the things that everybody has been asking people that are trump supporters people that are trump critics is what is the likelihood that this uh, uh, trial is going to take place before the election. Obviously, if it's after the election, Trump's in a position, if he should win, to pardon himself. What are what are you seeing in terms of the likelihood 
of this case being heard before November of next year, David? Well, I'm so glad I got that question. Thank you, Frank. You know, a lot of people on the far left, I think, imagine that in a couple of months there'll be a trial and a conviction. They'll see Trump in prison. And I think a lot of people who are Trump supporters think that there'll be a trial before Labor Day and he'll be vindicated. Both of those are way wrong. I believe that there will not be a trial uh, before November 2024. And uh, I don't think that it's in Trump's interest. Again, I know I disagree with at least one or maybe two of your other guests. I believe the evidence against him is overwhelming. I think that he has no desire to really take the case to trial uh, because he has a high chance of being uh, found guilty by the jury at a trial. And why not do exactly what he's doing? Uh, Claim that he's a martyr, claim victimization, make motions, make noise, um, and uh, not have the case go to trial. So I think it's very unlikely. The other thing is really interesting. I'd love to hear your other guests' view of this. Uh, Apparently, the special counsel has sort of overthought this case to the point that he's brought it now in southern Florida. And at least as things stand right now, it's going to go to Judge Eileen Cannon, who was very controversial Mm. uh, in terms of the the search warrant. People will remember um, she was ruling very favorably for Trump, um, who had, of course, picked her. um, And uh, then she went through the Senate something like 51-49. But, I mean, she's on the bench. She's uh, the only judge up in the uh, division north of West Palm Beach, which is the one that uh, Trump went to. Apparently, she's the related case judge, although there's also some talk that she was picked at random from the three or four judges who could have had that case because it's apparently not Miami-based based on the divisions down there. It's Palm Beach-based, and there's Hmm. only three or four judges, and supposedly she got it at random. But that changes everything if a very Trump-supporting judge is going to keep this case all the way through. And just let me finish by saying I think that she has the the right and the power to grant continuances. And I just don't see her not granting continuances. Trump will say these are difficult issues. One of the issues he wants to bring is selective prosecution. He's going to want to bring a discovery motion. He's going to want to know what happened in Biden's case, what happened in Hillary's case. To the extent that he gets anywhere, that's going to be months and months of litigation just trying to get that discovery. And I think it will definitely not go before the election in 2024. Matthew Mary, since you've uh, raised the prospect that this is more about politics than the law, let's talk about politics. Obviously, this is a judge that uh, President Trump has appointed and the jury makeup for a federal jury consisting of Floridians is much more likely to be a better breakdown for Trump than, say, a jury in Manhattan. Tell me what your take is on the role of the judge in this case and the role of the jury in this case and what you see as the timing of this trial, Matthew. I don't think that either of those are predictable, what the judge will do or what a jury will do. Juries are always, always unpredictable. And to try to think uh, uh, of, of jury selection in terms of uh, Trump Trump supporters or people who hate Trump, it's obvious Manhattan is a bad place for him and Florida is a good place. But aside from that, I don't think that the judge in this case, with the kind of political pressure and, and public uh, awareness of this case, I don't think she's going to make clearly political decisions. And nor will Judge Merchan in, in, in the New York case, even though uh, Judge Marchand is a very prominent Democrat and a very active Democrat. So uh, I, I kind of have a little bit more faith in the integrity of the judiciary, and I don't ever 
break the judiciary down into political, uh, you know, factions. So uh, I'm not really uh, thinking that that's as significant as it could be. Uh, Anthony Macri, one of the questions that I got from a listener on Friday, and I want to make sure I gave him the right answer. I'm not a legal, I'm not a lawyer or a legal analyst. I just occasionally play one on the radio. Was about the possibility of Trump pardoning himself. Let's say Trump is convicted in this case, and then let's say he's elected president. Would he be able, on firm legal and constitutional ground, to pardon himself? I think he would. I, uh, surprisingly, there is no prohibition against that, and he, he would have the power to do so. Um, and, and I also agree that I, I don't see how this, the trial in this case would be reached before the election. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that is a real possibility. And, David, what sort of time is the president, former president, facing here? Uh, what do, what, I know Reality Winner got a five-year sentence for uh, leaking one piece of classified information. When you're dealing with multiple pieces of, uh, of very sensitive evidence, what are the criminal penalties he's potentially facing? Well, he potentially could get over 20 years. You know, there's seven counts. You know, at least theoretically, they could even be made consecutive. But that's not what's going to happen in this case. The fact everyone's talking about on TV that some lieutenant colonel just got three years in prison for what they say, something less egregious than what Trump did. And you had with Trump the obstruction of justice. I don't think that's really what's going on is the amount of time that he's facing in this case. And like I said, I think that this is all going to happen after November 2024. So there's a few possibilities. He doesn't get the nomination. I think then he throws his support behind whoever does in the hope that he gets a pardon from that person. He does become the nominee and he wins, in which case he, he will pardon himself or, you know, he'll have to have an operation for five hours. The vice president will be the president for five hours. And during those five hours, his vice president will pardon him. One way or the other, he ends up getting a pardon if he becomes president, probably If the Republican becomes president, he gets a pardon. And if he doesn't become the president, then I think you have to really look at it. And I'd like to have your other guests view on this, is that I think at that point, his political career would pretty much be behind him. In four years, it'll be somebody else. It would be DeSantis. It would be somebody we haven't thought about right now. And uh, he'd have a motivation uh, to settle this case. I think he'd have a motivation to settle just about all of these cases. I know that that sounds unthinkable right now. But imagine if his political career really were over because someone else wins and uh, a Democrat wins, let's say Biden is reelected. Uh, I think that he'd have a huge motivation to try to make a deal. I think right now a deal is unthinkable uh, in any of these cases because I just don't see Trump standing up there in court, especially federal court, and making that colloquy uh, that he's guilty and the factual basis. I don't see that happening at any time before the election. Matthew, you're a Trump supporter, and and I think you have a favorable view of this case from his perspective. One of the things that I just can't wrap my head around is President Trump has been saying for seven years that uh, they're going after him. And you can understand why he has said that kind of a thing. Given that he's got to know the level of scrutiny that he's under and given the contempt that his uh, political adversaries have for him, why would he do this? I mean, it strikes me as just a massive unforced error. And in all the pages that have been written about this, I have yet to see any sort of even practical explanation of why he would do something like this. Do you have any uh, inkling? 
Frank, you're kind of wrong on two things. First of all, I did vote for for Mr. Trump in 2016 and 2020, but I have no intention of voting for him this year, precisely because of the kind of problems that he has. Now, that may be unfair not to vote for him because people are out to get him. You know, you've got to read Alan Dershowitz's book. This is something that's a clear-cut issue here. They're out to get him in New York State. Even the Republican Party in Georgia is out to get him. The Biden administration is out to get him. But in spite of that, I think that we're at a crossroads in the election of 2024. A nation is deeply divided. We're on the verge of of a complete left-wing revolution, and we need somebody uh, to run for the Republican uh, Party who can be fully devoted to the issues of the day and not have to worry about his own butt. Okay, and uh, to to answer your other part of the question, uh, why would President Trump act irrationally? Because he's an irrational man. Uh, Anthony Macri, Jonathan Turley is an attorney, a legal scholar, a legal analyst for Fox News. He's a professor at George Washington University Law School. He actually testified um, about in Trump's defense on a number of constitutional issues related to the impeachment. This is what Jonathan Turley said on Fox News after the indictment was unsealed. No, it is an extremely damning indictment. Uh, You know, there are indictments that are sometimes called narrative or speaking indictments. These are indictments uh, that are really meant to uh, make a point as to the depth of the evidence. There are some indictments that are just bare bones. This is not. Uh, The special counsel uh, knew that there would be a lot of people who were going to allege uh, that the Department of Justice was acting in a biased or or politically motivated way. This is clearly an indictment uh, that was drafted to answer those questions. It's overwhelming in details. And, you know, the Trump team should not fool itself. These are hits below the waterline. Uh, These are witnesses who apparently testified under oath, gave statements to federal investigators, both of which can be criminally charged if they're false. Those witnesses are directly quoting the president uh, in in encouraging others not to look for documents or allegedly uh, to conceal them. Uh, It's damaging. Anthony, why is Jonathan Turley inaccurate in his view of this case. You you seem to not view this as damning of an indictment as Jonathan Turley does. Uh, I, I don't. And, and I think, you know, um, the only thing I agree with that he said is that it's a detailed indictment. That, oh, that's true. But I, I, I think it is still an overblown indictment, an indictment that turns what is essentially a civil matter into a criminal one. And I, I, I don't think that it's as serious as he's portraying it, and I don't think he's looking at any jail time. I think it's a very technical indictment, and it is, has obvious political motivation, it would seem. And I, I think that, uh, I, yeah, I can't agree with uh, Professor Turley that this is uh, – it's. It, I think it's a stretch to make it as serious as they want to make it, uh, and 
I, I think for that reason, it's um, really being misportrayed, the seriousness of it. Matthew, uh, you mentioned Alan Dershowitz in his book, Get Trump. He has been President Trump's lawyer, and even though he says he didn't vote for him, he has been a defender on legal issues of Trump, both in the, in, in the halls of Congress and in the media from time to time. This is what he said on uh, Fox Business about one of the tape recordings that's evidence in this case. The one page that's of concern, obviously, if it's true, is the tape recording that was made of a conversation ex-President Trump had with a writer who was writing a book about uh, Meadows, and which he said, look, uh, I have these documents, uh, they're secret, I could have declassified them when I was president, but I didn't, and then either shows it to him or just shows him that he has it. And that was uh, the basis for the most important charge under the Espionage Act. The rest of it, I think, uh, can easily be defeated on legal and factual ground. This is the one that should be worrisome to the president. He may have an answer for it. Do do you share Alan Dershowitz's view that that aspect of this case is worrisome? That aspect of the case and all other aspects of the case are worrisome, Frank. So don't misunderstand me When, when I say to you, this case never should have been brought. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented. It's clearly political. But that doesn't mean that President Trump is not in a lot of trouble, especially with the charge of making false statements to government officials. You know, Frank, whether I'm representing a square like Frank Moreno or I'm <laughs> representing Al Capone, I give them the same advice all the time. Everyone, anyone, do not talk to federal agents or federal prosecutors because anything you say can be held against you. And if they believe that you're lying, they can bring a charge against you that carries a sentence of five years. So on that one, I think that a lot of false statements seem to have been made here. And also, yes, that conversation that President Trump had with that with the, the writer and the political uh, operative uh, are, are certainly troublesome. He, he's got he's got a lot to worry about. Uh, David Katz, Lindsey Graham was on ABC's This Week. He was uh, he offered a steadfast defense of President Trump, and he was not impressed with this uh, indictment or the charges. This is what he said. Yes, I don't like what President Trump did in certain aspects. I don't like that Joe Biden had classified information on the garage. I don't like that Mike Pence carelessly took classified information. I don't like any of that. But what I don't like is a system in America where the secretary of of a state who's a Democratic uh, candidate for president has people take a hammer to social media devices and break them apart, apply beach, uh, bleach bit to a hard drive to erase emails, allow classified information to get on a felon's computer, Anthony Weiner. You haven't even mentioned that. Most Republicans believe we live in a country where Hillary Clinton did very similar things and nothing happened to her. President Trump will have his day in court. But espionage charges are absolutely ridiculous. David, first of all, uh, Anthony Weiner has been on the show. He maintains there was no classified information on his laptop. So I'll just put that out there. I know he listens from time to time. Uh, What did you make of that? Because that is the most common 
kind of poo-pooing of this indictment, which is that Hillary Clinton did something similar. Um, we saw classified information mishandled potentially by both Joe Biden and by Mike Pence and who knows how many other people. Is the fact that a lot of other people have done similar things, not exactly the same thing, is that any sort of uh, defense for Trump on this? And does he make get to make any headway on the issue of selective prosecution? Well, this is what about ism. And there's the famous example where the defense attorney talks about Abraham Lincoln said this and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that. And of course, the prosecutor gets up in rebuttal and says, neither of those gentlemen is here today. Mr. Defendant is here today. Mr. Trump is here today. He has been charged. This is a very serious indictment against him. I think that his attorneys will bring a motion for selective prosecution. As I mentioned before, the first thing they have to do is to try to get discovery. That's a very high bar for a federal judge to order discovery um, about uh, anything about Hillary Clinton's case, Mike Pence's case, uh, President Joe Biden's case. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, And by the way, I wasn't trying to impugn any particular federal judge before. Uh, It's just a fact that with the whole world watching the search, Judge Cannon made these rulings that were uh, exceedingly favorable, unprecedentedly favorable to Trump. Uh, That's not me saying so. That was the 11th Circuit unanimously and quickly reversing her uh, as to what she ruled on the special uh, counsel, remember that there was the fellow sure. up in New York, right? The, the Northeast the special uh, master. Special yeah. She, according to the 11th Circuit, she made a total mash of that. That's all that I was saying on that score. So I don't think that really th- these arguments are going to go very far. I agree with Dershowitz on this one that that one is extremely troubling, and I think he told somebody something like, "Don't get too close," or that might have been with the map. I mean, he showed a political action committee staff member, a secret map of a foreign country and said, don't get too close. The other one that Dershowitz was talking about was audio taped. And so they have that in evidence. I think that was at the golf club up there. This is why, to me, it's baffling that this case wasn't brought in Washington, D.C. And it may be that the prosecutor wanted to show, hey, I can convict Trump in front of the jury pool down in Florida. I can convict him in front of any judge and jury Uh, in the country. But I still think that the case belonged in Washington, D.C., because Trump allegedly illegally took the documents that he should have left at the White House or sent to the National Archives. He took them in Washington, D.C., and then he got subpoenas that that were from Washington, D.C. He knew the investigation was from Washington, D.C., and so if he and the valet obstructed the investigation, it was the intent to obstruct an investigation in Washington, D.C., but it's not there. It's in southern Florida, and at least for the moment, it's in front of Judge Cannon. And I think he's in a world uh, of trouble because what they did with that valet is, as I said before, they showed the attorney who was going to certify that there were no secret documents in there. Uh, they showed him boxes from which 30 or so boxes from, that were important were deleted. And so he's I mean, it's an old shell game. It's so ridiculous. They show the attorney who's going to certify only half the boxes, thinking those are all the boxes. He sends a a declaration or has an underling send a declaration as the custodian of records that everything's been turned over. And when they go in on a search warrant, they find that everything has not been turned over, that over a hundred national security documents still with their security markings in red and gold mm. on them are there at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, how devastating could a case be? 
Uh, Anthony Macri, one of the things that uh, we heard a lot with the Alvin Bragg indictment in New York, and I think it was, you know, it made sense that we heard this, was that Alvin Bragg was a partisan Democrat that ran for DA in part on a platform of going after Trump, targeting Trump. Jack Smith uh, doesn't have that same history, from what I can tell, in partisan politics. Is there any uh, anything in Jack Smith's background that indicates he's more of a partisan actor as opposed to kind of a Sergeant Joe Friday, play it by the book prosecutor? Well, uh, ostensibly, he is a, a play it by the book uh, prosecutor, but. You know, I mean, clearly he's part of the Democratic establishment, and clearly he's uh, subject to their motivations. And, and you know, it, it would be hard to, uh, I think, simply say here there's no political motivation involved, um, you know, especially when you compare it to, you know, what Biden has done with documents and what Hillary Clinton has but, done with but documents. But is there so, anything in Jack Smith's history that indicates a uh, kind of a partisan leaning? Uh, not, not that I know of at this point, um, but uh, that you know that could uh, be pending further investigation. But uh, as of now, I don't know of anything uh, in particular. Uh, Matthew, Mary, you've been part of a number of uh, dream legal teams over the years. Some of them may have turned out to be nightmares, but you know what it's like to work with other lawyers in a collaborative effort. We saw um, Jim Trusty, who uh, was very well regarded as an attorney and was all over the place defending Trump in the media. He He's no longer uh, representing the president. Another lawyer, John Rowley, also apparently resigned. Is there anything that we can take away from these kind of sudden Trump uh, lawyer resignations after this indictment came down? What do you make of that? I make of it one thing. Trump is very consistent in one thing. He's very erratic. He fires people left and right. That goes for lawyers. That goes for secretaries of state. That goes for national security advisors. It's very, very difficult, I imagine, to get along with and work for President Trump. He's just that kind of guy. He believes that he knows it all, and uh, anybody who disagrees with him is out. So I, I don't think it benefits him a great deal to keep changing lawyers over and over and over. The way he changed personnel at the White House, it's it's unstable. And in this situation, you know, his life and freedom is really on the line. And even though I say this is a political prosecution, no one really cares. I mean, he can go to jail here. So he better start treating this case as a criminal would to get serious about it. And, you know, we may argue this is all political, but he still has a case. All right, we're going to continue in a moment with David Katz, Matthew Mary, and Anthony Macri to wrap up our legal panel, find out what the next steps are in this whole thing and what you might be able to expect if you're in your office betting pools about when this case is heard, what the results are, and so forth. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Talking about the historic indictment of a former president and current presidential candidate with uh, Matthew J. Mary, David Katz, and Anthony Macri, three distinguished attorneys who have uh, a very, very diverse background among them. And uh, it's, we're very lucky that they've agreed to stay up late with us today. David, uh, you alluded to the uh, fact that uh, the judge in this case was a Trump appointee. Let's talk about the jury makeup here. Is Donald Trump's best strategy uh, the hoping that uh, he gets a diehard Trump supporter on this jury that refuses to convict him under any circumstance? What do you think? Well, by the way, it's not as late for me. It's still Sunday night. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, they're going to voir dire this jury so carefully. And nowadays they get your social media postings. They find out an awful lot about you. There'll be obviously a huge questionnaire that they'll go through regarding all of the uh, prospective jurors. Um, and so I think the chance of someone um, actually getting on this jury and hanging it is fairly low. If you remember in the Manafort trial in federal court, there was someone who was actually a big Trump supporter. And she said later on, I was a huge Trump supporter. but In the end, I just felt like they really had the evidence against Manafort. And I think someone would come to the same conclusion on such an important case. I think that the jurors will have to be uh, anonymous. Um, There won't be a camera in the court. This is federal court. Um, You know, we've had a lot of cases that were circuses outside, you know, from O.J. right on down to the present. But, you know, the judge has to take precautions, and they do in federal court, so that there's no circus on the inside. So I think that when the trial actually starts, if it ever goes to trial, it will be an orderly trial. But I think for the office pool betting, don't bet again that it's going to happen, the trial, before the election in 2024. There'll be a lot of motions regarding this presidential act statute, regarding trying to get documents on other cases to try to show that it's selective prosecution and other motions uh, that we can't even quite. There may be actually motions about who the judge should be, but it sounds pretty firm that it went to canon randomly and that it's hers, not just by the related case. So it looks like it's going to stay with her. There might be some interlocutory appeals, especially over these discovery issues. Um, The government or Trump might try to take it to the 11th Circuit if there's a really important ruling uh, saying that it somehow is, um, uh, you know, it's not this final judgment rule that they're allowed to appeal it for some reason um, on an interlocutory basis. 
Matthew, um, we, we heard a lot about motions that may be filed in this case from David just now. Some listeners have raised the prospect of going to the Supreme Court even prior to a criminal conviction and having the Supreme Court weigh in on some of these thorny legal issues. Do you see any scenario in which the Supreme Court would weigh in on this case prior to a conviction? No, none at all, Frank. The, the Supreme Court, as any appellate court, is is there to review legal issues that have occurred in, in lower courts. So when, when you lose in federal district court and you go to the Court of Appeals, the, the next highest level, the Court of Appeals doesn't do a do-over and listen to the evidence de novo, you know, at new. They, they just review legal issues uh, errors that were made in the previous uh, jurisdiction, and the same with the Supreme Court. In fact, the Supreme Court, in most cases, doesn't even hear the appeal from the Court of Appeals. They just decline to hear it. So there's no reason uh, right now to even imagine that the Supreme Court could get involved. Anthony Macri, in terms of the other legal issues Trump is facing, he's still uh, potentially facing a state case in Georgia. You have the Manhattan situation here. Some people have even brought up the uh, uh, the possibility of the additional federal charges stemming from January 6th. Where do you see this case ranking in terms of severity as it, re- as it relates to those other cases that I just referred to? Probably be regarded as as the most serious in, in many ways. Um, it, not you know not to say that in in, in actuality it, it's as serious as being made out. I, as I had said, I, I think it is a stretch to turn this into a uh, a grand criminal case. But, uh, but compared to the other ones, I would say that uh, potentially it is is more serious um, than, than they are. But. You know, one of the puzzling things here, by the way, is why I, I'm, I'm puzzled as to why the prosecutors chose South Florida for the venue here. Uh, the venue would have been much friendlier to them, to their side, in Washington, D.C., where most of the offenses, the alleged offenses, took place. So uh, I don't quite uh, Frank, understand that. Frank, yeah, please. Can I take a shot at yeah, that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Frank, can, I take a, can I take a shot? You know, nowadays you have to submit a venue to the jury. And I think they were worried uh, that there's a case kicking around in the U.S. Supreme Court, argued this term but not decided yet, which some analysts think that if a jury acquits, um, and the reason is because there's no venue, that double jeopardy would attach. Now, people say, well, that's ridiculous. You could have a special verdict, and they could say that they only acquitted because they thought there wasn't venue in D.C., but apparently they got very apprehensive about that potential scenario. I think it's ridiculous because, as I said before, I think the venue is plainly present. We all know as criminal defense lawyers that the government chooses the venue pretty much the way that they want. And if there's one bank transaction, they say there was right. venue in New York, even though all the action happened in Kansas City. They say that there was one boiler room that was making phone calls from San Diego. And before you know it, you're down in San Diego with a bunch of retired military guys on the jury. And meanwhile, the people that you represent are out of San Francisco, right? Uh, Matthew Mary, are we going to see a situation where the 46th president or excuse me, the 47th president of the United States ends up incarcerated? I think there's a substantial chance of that happening. But I think if he loses 
the first primaries, that he's going to get out of the race and he's going to make a deal with one of the Republicans hmm. and get a pardon secured. G- gentlemen, for him. we're going to have to end it there. Matthew Mary, David Katz, Anthony Macri, thank you for your service. Let's do this again around the next indictment, okay? Thank you for having me. Great Th- to be with all of you. Thank you. Your influence counts. Use it.